Welcome back to The Law. I'm D.K. Williams, and this is episode 32, Taylor versus City of Saginaw. You probably heard about this case. It's just over a week ago when it was announced. Uh, April 22nd, 2019 is when it came out. This is a case where the Sixth Circuit Federal Court of Appeals held in a 3-0 decision that when parking ticket enforcement officers, and I would never dream of calling them meter maids, chalk your tires to see if you've moved your car after the allowed time to park there, that tire chalking is a violation of the Fourth Amendment's prohibition on the government's unreasonable searches and seizures. So cities cannot do that, at least not in the Sixth Circuit states. As always, The Law with D.K. Williams is brought to you by the Launchpad Media Network, always launching ideas in your direction. Find us at thelaunchpadmedia.com. And follow me on social media. That's Twitter, at BlueCarp. And on Facebook.com slash Blue Carp. I'd love to hear from you. And also check out the Facebook page for this podcast. That's The Law with D.K. Williams on Facebook. Rate it, comment, recommend it, share it, wherever you're listening. Like, comment, subscribe, all that. It all helps out. And your feedback is very helpful. I love hearing it. So good, bad, or indifferent, let me know. And if you're so inclined, you can also help out the podcast by uh, making a donation. If you want, you go to paypal.me slash the law dk williams and i'll have a link to that in the notes all right so the sixth circuit said last week april 22nd chalking tires for parking ticket enforcement is against the fourth amendment now when i first heard about this case like the headlines and the little stories on the internet and prior to reading it i was like hmm that's interesting how how is putting a chalk mark on a tire a search or a seizure I wasn't sure. I didn't get it. I was looking forward to reading it and trying to figure out or or learn what the court said. And after reading it, I do understand how they reached that conclusion. And I'm glad they did. And we'll go over that and you'll see how they got there. And you can determine if you agree with it or not. And and what do I say about reading cases? You guys know I, I try to repeat this because it's very, very important. Read cases if you want to have an opinion about them. I'm trying to point you in the right direction. I'm not telling you about these cases so you don't have to read it. I'm telling you about these cases so hopefully it will inspire you to go read the ones that you're interested in. And that's why I always put a link to the actual text of the opinion in the show notes so it's easy to find. Because people with opinions about a legal decision and usually a Supreme Court decision, because those are the big ones, but any of them, people with opinions that haven't read the actual words of the decision have no basis for that opinion. They're hearing other people's opinion and then they're just going along with that because of forward of reason, largely because of their own personal biases. So let's try to recognize those and not let them overtake our opinions, our logic, our thought process. It's like giving a review of a movie you haven't seen, recommending a restaurant you've never been to, never eaten at. Those opinions really aren't worth anything, right? Same rationale to court cases. Now, chalking tires is not the most important issue of our time, clearly. But this case gets into the fundamentals of the Fourth Amendment and the prohibition against unreasonable searches and seizures. Those are very important. And this case talks about them as they analyze chalking tires. Now, this case only has precedential value in the Sixth Circuit. Where is the Sixth Circuit, you might ask? It's a good question. It covers four states, starting from the south and going north. It's Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio, in Michigan. So if you look at it on a map, it looks kind of like a reverse crescent. So this case controls only in those four states. Now, another circuit court could agree with the Sixth Circuit, but they're not bound by it. For instance, say the Tenth Circuit had the same issue brought up. They could reject the reasoning of the Sixth Circuit. 
and they can make the opposite decision. But if this issue comes up and you're not in the Sixth Circuit, use this argument and perhaps it'll be adopted. And I don't see the Supreme Court taking this case, but you never know. I mean, they try to take cases that have substantial importance. And like we were saying, chalking tires probably isn't one of those topics, but you never know. And, and, and unless they do, and you live outside one of those four states that comprise the Sixth Circuit, you'll have to make this argument in your jurisdiction and see if they buy it. And frankly, I was surprised that they that any city or municipality or whatever still uses tire chalking. I didn't know that was still a thing. Here in Denver, where I live, where I'm broadcasting from, they've got great parking meters, but no people that go around and chalk tires. These parking meters that they have here in Denver, they're solar operated and they take credit cards, right? They want to make it easy. They want your money. And they have two flashing lights, green if there's still time on the meter and red if there's no time left. The people driving their little golf carts or whatever can easily see the ones that are flashing red. Boom, they're making a, writing themselves a ticket. The one disadvantage, if your object is to give out parking tickets, disadvantage to these Denver meters, and I'm sure they're throughout the country as well, you can go back out and feed it and stay longer than the time you're supposed to stay. For an example, if one is watching a Carolina basketball game at the Blake Street Tavern in Denver with the local Carolina alumni group and all the nearby meters have a two-hour limit, one might go out at halftime and re-up for another two hours. You aren't supposed to do that, but I don't know how they would enforce that in Denver. Chalking the tires definitely addresses that problem. You can't do anything about it unless you actually move your car. Don't get me wrong, Denver is excellent at giving out parking tickets once that meter has expired. I wouldn't be surprised if the ticket giver people in their little carts somehow alerted the second that meter expires and he rushes over to write a ticket. If you miss, if you are one minute late, you're going to get a ticket. I don't know how they do it. It's the one thing that government is good at, is giving you tickets and taking your money. All right, so who are the parties to this lawsuit? The plaintiff is Allison Patricia Taylor. She got 15 parking tickets in Saginaw between 2014 and 2017 all based on the evidence of the chalk placed on her tires by the government agent, the law enforcement parking enforcement person. The defendant, city of Saginaw, Michigan, and the agent's name, it was one parking official. We'll not say meter maid because this is not the 60s. I'm not Don Draper, and I'm not a Madison Avenue advertising executive. They're ticket enforcement officers. One of them not multiple people handing out tickets to the plaintiff, Allison Patricia Taylor. One gave out all these tickets to Taylor. Her name is Tabitha Hoskins. She's also named in the lawsuit. And tell me I'm not the only person who immediately thought of the Lefty Frizzell song, Saginaw, Michigan, when I heard the name of the city in this case. I'll link to the song in the show notes. I can't be the only one. Fact about Saginaw, it is a 103-mile trip northwest of Detroit, and according to Google Maps, it takes about an hour and 39 minutes. I give you all the important details here at The Law. Not a Supreme Court case, so we don't have to get into the Supreme Court votes and who the justices are. But it was a unanimous decision before a three-judge panel of the Sixth Circuit. So three appellate judges heard it, all agreed the chalking is unconstitutional. And as we know, there are multiple federal appellate judges in each circuit, all with lifetime tenure, just like Supreme Court justices and the federal trial court judges. There are 16 active appellate judges in the Sixth Circuit. This doesn't include judges on senior status. If you take senior status, it means you're still a judge, but you're not going to take a full workload. Some don't work much at all. Some work a little bit more than others. So they might hear cases. They would hear cases every now and then. Now, each of these Appellate court judges is appointed by the president, just like the Supreme Court. And you know, I like to discuss who appointed the Supreme Court justices when we discuss those cases. I'll just tell you that out of the 16 active judges on the Sixth Circuit, six were appointed by Trump. That's just in two years. Six out of 16 in two years. Two were appointed by Obama, and he was there for eight years. Five by George W. Bush. And three, the, the remaining three, by my fellow Arkansan by birth, Bill Clinton. 
Now, while the Supreme Court nominations get all the press, and they're obviously very important, so are these federal appellate judges and these trial judges, all of whom are nominated by the president. They don't get as much publicity or discussion, but they go a long way in shaping the federal law. So each appeal from a federal district court, that's the trial level, up to the circuit court, the medium appellate level, so it's between the Supreme Court and the district court. You've got the circuit court judges in there. Each appeal is assigned to a three-judge panel. So there's three judges out of the 16 that heard this case. So if three different appellate judges from that 16 on the Sixth Circuit had been assigned the case, they might have come up with a different answer. We don't know, but it's certainly possible, and it's probably likely if you got the right three. This case, Taylor versus Saginaw, was heard by Damon Keith, who was appointed by Carter, Raymond Kethledge, appointed by G.W. Bush, and Bernice Donald, appointed by Obama. Now, you might remember, I didn't mention any judges being nominated by Carter out of those 16 that are currently on the Sixth Circuit. You're correct. I didn't. And this threw me off when I was writing this and looking at the uh, the research about these judges. I was trying to find out who appointed each judge. I discovered that Damon Keith, one of the three judges on this panel that ruled in favor of the plaintiff, died six days after this opinion came out. The opinion came out on April 22nd. Judge Damon Keith died on the 28th. I'm like, man, that's, like, not expected. So he just died three days ago. As I record this on May 1st, he was 96 years old. So reading that he died made this entire process more real for me, less academic. Instead of just some names on the computer or on paper, you remember that these people are actual humans. Just immortal like the rest of us. But anyway, that's the end of the model in minute. Now, I mentioned how I doubt the Supreme Court would take this case, but there's another possible step before the U.S. Supreme Court. If Saginaw wants to pursue an appeal, they can appeal to the Sixth Circuit on banc, which is French for in bench, which doesn't really help you know what that means. But in legal parlance, it means the entire Sixth Circuit would hear the case and they would all vote. Parties can ask for this, but the Sixth Circuit doesn't have to grant it. They do it when they want to. It's up to them. Now, you might remember the very first case we discussed, episode one of the law, was about U.S. v. Singleton. That was a Tenth Circuit case where a three-judge panel unanimously said that the federal anti-bribery statute applied to the federal government and not just to mere serfs like you and me. So the three-judge panel said that it does apply. The federal government freaked out. So the Tenth Circuit agreed to hear that case on banc. So when they heard it on banc, all of them they overrule the three-judge panel. Go check out episode one for more about that case. To me, it's outrageous. So, fact about this case, about this parking ticket case out of Saginaw, Michigan. Let me take some of this right out of the opinion. The city of Saginaw uses a common parking enforcement practice known as chalking, whereby city parking enforcement officers use chalk to mark the tires of parked vehicles to track how long they have been parked. So this is me again. So what they do is they put a mark on your tire and they come back, let's say two hours later, if the if you're only supposed to park there for two hours. And if that chalk mark is still in the same place, you get a ticket because you haven't moved. That's how that works. Pretty primitive, but effective. Back to the opinion. Parking enforcement officers, not meter maids, they return to the car after the posted time for parking is passed. And if the chalk mark is still there, there you go. Uh, the vehicle's not been moved. Officer issues a citation. Now, yes, conceivably, I guess you could move and come back to that same parking spot and your tire could be in virtually the same position, but they don't ever really talk about that in this case anyway. It's not likely. Allison Taylor, the plaintiff in this case, a frequent recipient of parking tickets. She sued the city and its parking enforcement officer, Tabitha Hoskins, alleging that chalking violated her Fourth Amendment right to be free from unreasonable search. The city moved to dismiss. The district court, the trial court, granted the city's motion. They dismissed the case. They declared that while chalking may have constituted a search under the Fourth Amendment, the search was reasonable. 
The Sixth Circuit reversed that. Then they get into how they reached that conclusion. So they mentioned how Taylor received these 15 parking tickets between 14 and 17. And well, that might be a lot. I mean, I've heard of people that have a lot more than that. But she's got 15. Tabitha Hoskins, she's the one that hands out the tickets. The parking enforcement officer gave her all 15 tickets. Now, that surprised me. I mean, I have to think that these two ended up knowing each other. The case doesn't say it, but I imagine Taylor, the plaintiff, worked downtown and parked in the same basic area, same block or two blocks. And Hoskins was assigned that block and she kept giving her tickets, right? I'd be interested in knowing what kind of relationship those two might have. I doubt they hang out. Back to the Sixth Circuit case. So Taylor filed the lawsuit. It's the Section 1983 action. And we've talked about that in, in a number of these cases. That's the federal statute that allows you to sue a government agent or the government for violation of your constitutional rights. So Taylor alleged that the defendants, the city and the parking meter agent, violated her Fourth Amendment right against unreasonable searches by placing chalk marks on her tires without her consent or a valid search warrant. Taylor also sued Hoskins, the meter parking enforcement officer, in her individual capacity because she was the one actually doing the chalk marks. Defendants filed a motion to dismiss saying that it's not a search within the meaning of the Fourth Amendment. And if it was, it's a reasonable search. Hoskins, the agent, the ticket giver, also asserted a qualified immunity defense. Now, you know what I feel about the qualified immunity doctrine. Don't get me started on that. That topic has come up a bunch in several of our cases that we've talked about. But go see episode four of the law and where we talk about it in depth. It's it's ridiculous. But a couple of things about this case. And again, like at first blush, I did, could not believe this was an unreasonable search because I didn't see it as a search. It's certainly not a seizure. They're not taking anything. What you do in public is public, right? Your tire is in public. Looking at it is not an unreasonable search. Of course, nothing is seized. I can see how the government action, this is upon first reading it, or hearing about it before I read it. I thought that the government action is like some kind of minor vandalism, right? Marking property with chalk. And even though it's going to wash off or wear off quickly, it's still marking property that's not yours. It's not the government's. Vandalism is a trespass or doing anything to personal property that's not yours without permission is a is a trespass on property. And trespass is a, on property is a real thing. And as it turns out, that concept of trespass is key to the decision. Stand by for that. So the court gets into its analysis, and this is where these fundamentals of the Fourth Amendment, what constitutes an unreasonable search and seizure, this is where this comes into play. And that's why this case is a good one to talk about. In addition to it being kind of novel, and recent. Those are other good reasons to talk about it. Court says, starting here from the beginning of the analysis, the Fourth Amendment protects the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures. That's the Constitution. Then they quote some case law. The basic purpose of this amendment, as recognized in countless decisions of the Supreme Court, is to safeguard the privacy and security of individuals against arbitrary invasions by government officials. So you might see where this is going. An invasion by government officials, marking up your private property, could be an invasion. I mean, it's just a stronger way of saying trespass, so it's really a trespass. Court continues, the Fourth Amendment gives concrete expression to a right of the people which is basic to a free society. I love it when they talk like that. Court goes on to determine whether a Fourth Amendment violation has occurred. We ask two primary questions. First, whether the alleged government conduct constitutes a search within the meaning of the Fourth Amendment. And second, whether the search was reasonable. We discuss each in turn. That's the Sixth Circuit talking. And we get into these basic, more basics, fundamental stuff. The answer to the first question in this case is yes. Chalking is a search for Fourth Amendment purposes. Again, I didn't didn't get that. Uh, after reading this, I got it. You can decide for yourself if you agree with it. Sixth Circuit says, The Supreme Court has articulated two distinct approaches to determine when conduct by a government agent constitutes a search. All right, they're going to tell us. 
under the most prevalent and widely used search analysis articulated in Katz v. U.S., another Supreme Court case, or that case said, a search occurs when a government official invades an area in which a person has a constitutionally protected, reasonable expectation of privacy. Under Katz, a search is analyzed in two parts. First, that a person exhibit an actual subjective expectation of privacy, and second, that the expectation be one that society is prepared to recognize as reasonable. A physical intrusion is not necessary for a search to occur under Katz. Laying out some groundwork there. Sixth Circuit goes on. In recent years, however, the Supreme Court revisited the seldom used, quote, property-based, unquote, approach to the Fourth Amendment in a case United States v. Jones, which is a 2012 case. Under Jones, when governmental invasions are accompanied by physical intrusions, which is chalking attire, a search occurs when the government trespasses upon a constitutionally protected area to obtain information. So the trespass, this is me again, so the trespass by the government on your private property is the violation. The Sixth Circuit goes on. In Jones, the government surreptitiously attached a GPS device to a car to track the car's movements. You guys probably remember this. Like I said, it came out, the case, the Supreme Court dealt with it in 2012, so it's not that old. The Supreme Court held that the government's trespass upon an effect, the vehicle, to obtain information related to the car's movement was a search. I can follow that. Sixth Circuit goes on. For our purposes, in this case, the chalking of the tire case, Jones, that Supreme Court case, provides the appropriate analytical framework for determining whether chalking constitutes a search within the meaning of the Fourth Amendment. In accordance with Jones, the threshold question is whether chalking constitutes common law trespass upon a constitutionally protected area. I agree with it is. That is definitely a common law trespass. Court goes on. Though Jones, that U.S. Supreme Court case, does not provide clear boundaries, of course not, for the meaning of common law trespass, the restatement of torts, which is a but a reference book that's supposed to be a summary of all the important tort law. So the restatement offers some assistance. As defined by the restatement, this big reference, common law trespass is an act which brings about intended physical contact with a chattel, which is just personal property, in the possession of another. Moreover, an actor may commit a trespass by so acting upon a chattel, private property, as intentionally to cause it to come in contact with some other object. These are, this is a theoretical offense, right? You act upon private property intentionally to cause it to come in contact with some other object. Doesn't have to be any damage at all, but theoretically, that is an actual trespass against chattel. But it's like a battery when it comes to individuals is any unwanted touching. So it doesn't have to be, you don't have to get hurt. Doesn't have to leave a mark. You don't even have to notice it to be technical. If someone touches you and you don't want them to touch you, that's a battery. Of course, as a practical matter, we usually just think about it as being something when somebody gets hit or somebody intentionally hurts somebody else. So you can see how this works in the private property chattel context. Sixth Circuit goes on. Adopting this definition, there has been a trespass in this case because the city made intentional physical contact with Taylor's vehicle. As the district court properly found, this physical intrusion, regardless of how slight, constitutes common law trespass. This is so even though no damage is done at all. Sixth Circuit says, our search analysis under Jones does not end there. Rather, once we determine the government has trespassed upon a constitutionally protected area, we must then determine whether the trespass was, quote, conjoined with an attempt to find something or to obtain information, end quote. So here's the Sixth Circuit in this tire chalking case is using language from Jones. That was a GPS case where the U.S. Supreme Court said attaching a GPS to a car was a trespass on private property and therefore a search because they were using that in an attempt to find information or find something. The Sixth Circuit applying that Supreme Court analysis says, 
Here, in the tire chalking case, it was. Neither party disputes that the city uses the chalk marks for the purpose of identifying vehicles that have been parked in the same location for a certain period of time. That information is then used by the city to issue citations. As the district court aptly noted, despite the low-tech nature of the investigative technique, the chalk marks clearly provided information to Hoskins. That's the lady writing tickets. This practice amounts to an attempt to obtain information under Jones, the Supreme Court case. So they decided it was a search based on the Jones analysis. Sixth Circuit then discusses if the search was reasonable or not. You have to do that next. Sixth Circuit says, Taylor, that's the plaintiff in this case, argues that the search was unreasonable because the city fails to establish an exception to the warrant requirement. Specifically, Taylor argues that the search at issue, chalking or tire, is not covered by the community caretaker exception and that the city fails to establish that any other exception applies to their warrantless search. The city responds that even if chalking is a search under Jones, which the Sixth Circuit already said it was, then that search was reasonable because there is a reduced expectation of privacy in an automobile. The city further contends that the search was subject to the community caretaker exception. And we're going to get to that briefly. The Sixth Circuit says, we disagree with the city. The Fourth Amendment does not proscribe all searches, but only those that are unreasonable. Right there in the Constitution. Sixth Circuit says, we must begin with the basic rule that searches conducted outside the judicial process without prior approval by a judge or magistrate, that is, without a warrant. Those are per se unreasonable under the Fourth Amendment, subject only to a few specifically established and well-delineated exceptions. The government bears the burden of demonstrating an exception to the warrant requirement. The district court, here in Taylor's case, the plaintiff that got the tickets, the district court found that the city's warrantless search of Tyler's vehicle was reasonable because there's a lesser expectation of privacy with automobiles. And that's what I thought at first, too. People can look at your car while you're out in public. You don't have any privacy in that. They can look at your tires. But that's ignoring the trespass when they mark your car, even though it's minor. The court says, we disagree with the city. Though an automobile enjoys a reduced expectation of privacy, like we were just talking about, due to its ready mobility, this concept of an expectation of privacy is a big part of what is covered in the Fourth Amendment. That was me, not the, not the case. And I remember a law school professor discussing this concept about expectation of privacy. And his example was, let's say you had a ground-level apartment with a huge picture window on Broadway in Times Square in New York. You would have no expectation of privacy for whatever you did inside your house behind that window. Now, there's no curtains, right, that people can just see in. You have no expectation. People are walking by. Thousands of people are walking by. They can just turn their head and look right into your house through the big window. You have zero expectation of privacy there. The Sixth Circuit continues. The automobile exception permits officers to search a vehicle without a warrant if they have probable cause to believe that the vehicle contains evidence of a crime. Right there. Bam. In this tire chalking case, there's no probable cause to chalk. They chalk all of the cars. The court points this out. No such probable cause existed here. Thus, the automobile exception is inapplicable. The court says, undeterred, the city relies on the Supreme Court's pre-Jones decision in Cardwell v. Lewis. Whenever a judge's decision says that you're undeterred, it means you're wrong and you're not giving up yet. So in this other case that the city is relying on, trying to justify its warrantless search based solely on a vehicle's reduced expectation of privacy, talk about this Cardwell case, which was before Jones. After the police secured a warrant for the defendant's arrest in that case, they arrested him. The police towed his car to a police impoundment lot 
where a warrantless search of the outside of his car revealed paint scrapings tying Lewis' car to the fender of the victim's car. Lewis was later tried and convicted of murder. As the city's argument goes, if scraping paint from a car without a warrant was held reasonable in that case, then certainly placing washable chalk on a vehicle's tire is reasonable. But, the court says, crucial distinctions deflate the city's argument. First, the vehicle in Cardwell, the murder case, was towed by the police following the arrest. Second, and most important, the warrantless search in Caldwell, the murder case where they took the paint off the guy's car, was upheld on the basis that it was conducted upon probable cause. That is an established exception to the warrant requirement. That case was not based on the reduced expectation of privacy in the vehicle. Court says here, unlike that case, the city commences its search on vehicles that are parked legally. No crime has been committed. They're parked legally. There's no probable cause or even so much as individualized suspicion of wrongdoing, the touchstone of the reasonableness standard. Thus, we reject the city's contention that searching Taylor's vehicle was reasonable based solely on its reduced expectation of privacy. Next, the city attempts to seek refuge in the community caretaker exception. All right, whenever a a written decision by a judge says you're attempting to seek refuge in some doctrine, they're not going to give you that refuge. All right, we've talked about this community caretaker exception briefly. The Sixth Circuit says, this exception applies when government actors are performing community caretaker functions rather than traditional law enforcement functions. Okay, I've got no embarrassment in saying I have never heard of this community caretaker exception, but now I have, and so have you. The Sixth Circuit says, unlike other exceptions, it requires that we look at the function performed by a government agent when a search occurs. To apply, this function must be totally divorced from the detection, investigation, or acquisition of evidence relating to the violation of a criminal statute. Okay, right now you can see that doesn't apply. The Sixth Circuit goes on. This exception has its genesis in the Supreme Court's decision in KDV Dombrowski. There, the defendant's vehicle was disabled as a result of an accident and left on the side of the road following his arrest for drunk driving. Pursuant to standard procedure, police officers conducted a search of the defendant's vehicle to retrieve a revolver reasonably suspected of being in the trunk. So they didn't want to leave this car on the side of the road with a gun in the back of it. Court said that search was reasonable as it was to, quote, protect the public from the possibility that a revolver would fall into untrained or perhaps malicious hands. The Sixth Circuit says, we explain that the community caretaker exception does not provide the government with refuge from the warrant requirement except when delay is reasonably likely to result in injury or ongoing harm to the community at large. There you go. It's all coming together. When I was reading it, it was all coming together at this point. Overstaying time in a parking place presents no possibility of injury or harm to the public. You're just in a parking place. You're out of the way. You're not in traffic. Sixth Circuit says courts have applied the community caretaker exception in narrow instances when public safety is at risk. Like we have established, nobody can reasonably say that there's any risk here. There's not. Court says the city fails to carry its burden of establishing that the community caretaker exception applies in this instance. First, on these facts, the city fails to demonstrate how this search bears a relation to public safety. Yeah, exactly. The city does not show that the location or length of time that Taylor's vehicle was parked created the type of hazard or traffic impediment amounting to a public safety concern. Well, because it doesn't. Nor does the city demonstrate that delaying a search would result in injury or ongoing harm to the community. Because it doesn't. To the contrary, at the time of the search... Taylor's vehicle was lawfully parked in a proper parking location, imposing no safety risk whatsoever. The Sixth Circuit keeps going. Because the purpose of chalking is to raise revenue and not to mitigate public hazard, the city was not acting in its role as a community 
caretaker. That's the Sixth Circuit. So they're not protecting the community. They're raising money. They want to give you a ticket so they can fine you and collect revenue. They're not doing it to protect anybody. They're not doing it to clear the road. They're not doing it to minimize a hazard. They're doing it to collect money. Right there, quote, because the purpose of chalking is to raise revenue, boom, and not to mitigate public a public hazard. At the time of chalking, there's no law, no statute, no ordinance being violated. The car is just parked legally. The Sixth Circuit then goes on to explain how the cases cited by Saginaw all presented some kind of actual hazard, leaving a car unattended on the shoulder of a highway, law enforcement having probable cause to think there are explosives in a car. None of that applies to Taylor and her parked car. Finally, the Sixth Circuit says, The city points to the importance of maintaining efficient, orderly parking. While the city is entitled to maintain efficient, orderly parking, the manner in which it chooses to do so is not without constitutional limitation. As the Supreme Court explains, the Fourth Amendment does not place an unduly oppressive weight on the government, but merely an orderly procedure. The city does not demonstrate in law or logic, that the need to deter drivers from exceeding the time permitted for parking before they've even done so is sufficient to justify a warrantless search under the community caretaker rationale. So the Sixth Circuit reversed the district court's order and Taylor wins the case. Cities cannot chalk your tire. You haven't done anything. They're committing a common law trespass on your property with the hope of finding that you eventually have overstayed where you're supposed to be. Can't do it. So if you live in the states in the Sixth Circuit, again, that's Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio, or Michigan, chalking no longer allowed. If you live somewhere else and if parking enforcement uses tire chalking, the primitive law enforcement method, if they use that to hand out citations and you get one, fight that ticket and base your argument on this case. Now, that court doesn't have to buy it outside the Sixth Circuit, but if they do, you win. And if they don't, maybe you can appeal it, like Allison Taylor did here, and make that the law in your jurisdiction, too. You might be the name plaintiff, and everyone w will remember your name. Well, some lawyers, law students, might. Don't comply when you don't have to, and fight it when they give you a citation. So this wasn't a groundbreaking decision affecting deep and serious issues. It was just a chalk mark on a tire. But you can see how the Fourth Amendment analysis is important, and going through that resulted in this decision. So while the decision may not be earth-shattering, the analysis is what's important and how the Sixth Circuit applied it, and I get it. And even if you don't agree with it, now you've at least been exposed to that analysis that the Sixth Circuit did here. And that's what it's all about. I'm DK Williams, and this has been The Law, Episode 32, Taylor versus the City of Saginaw, or as I think it will be referred to henceforth, the tire chalking case. We're brought to you by the Launchpad Media Network, always launching ideas in your direction. Find us at thelaunchpadmedia.com. Holler at me with your comments. Again, it's Twitter at bluecarp, facebook.com slash bluecarp, and the Facebook page for the podcast itself. So on Facebook, there's a page for The Law with DK Williams. And if you want to help keep this podcasting going, and, if, and you're so inclined and you want to, you can donate at paypal.me slash law. DK Williams. I'll have the link in the notes. Live free, folks. Freedom is dangerous. Live dangerously.